Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. On today's podcast, I sit down with Rebecca Milford to talk about one of her favourite artists and a complete icon, Frida Kahlo. As an art historian, Frida Kahlo is somebody that I knew a little bit about, but I really couldn't sit down and discuss her at length and as enthusiastically and as knowledgeably as what Rebecca is about to do. In this podcast, we discuss her tempestuous relationship with her husband, Diego, her life filled with pain due to an accident that she had when she was 18, and also her artistic outpour and just how important she was at showing really for the first time within art history the pain and suffering that women go through just purely from being women. If you're anything like me, you'll know Frida as someone who is quite iconic and as someone that perhaps you don't know her by name, but you'll definitely know her to look at. She's very distinctive in her sort of facial features and that she's very well known for having this incredible monobrow or very sort of distinct eyebrows. And she's someone who spent a lot of her life painting self-portraits because as Frida said herself, she was so often alone and it was the subject that she knew best. So I invite you now to sit back and relax as Rebecca and I delve in into the incredible life of the Mexican painter, Frida Kahlo. Kind of first and foremost, why uh, Frida Kahlo? Why Frida? Um, mm. That's a great question. Uh, I think she is known in popular culture these days as such a feminist icon and, um, and one of the most famous Mexican painters. And we obviously all know her from the, the unibrow. But for me, it came about when I took a trip to Mexico about four years ago and went to the um, the Casa Azul, which is the blue house where she spent a lot of her life and it's now been turned into a museum and really saw these paintings up close and got a feeling for the vibrancy in them, the, the life in them. And we were lucky enough to have a guide who could tell us a lot about Frida's life. And he kind of revealed where a lot of her inspiration comes from and how so much of it is focused on this pain that she felt throughout her life, um, both physical and emotional. And it just really, really moved me because it's this self-expression and this, this beautiful artwork that comes from real trauma and like quite a savage um, experience all throughout her life. And yeah, it just really, really touched me that these pieces of work could be such an incredible legacy from someone that never shied away from death. Like she was presented with it for so much through her life. And I think that's why a lot of her paintings make us feel slightly uncomfortable at first, uh, but then you really do kind of feel them tug at something deep within you because it's kind of almost representation of our own mortality as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they have this um, kind of scary, surrealist, nightmarish sort of vibe to them. But you, you really do need to sort of understand her backstory, I think, to sort of really understand. Or, I mean, they can, they can still sort of star something, but I really think once you sort of understand the complete roller coaster of her life, particularly sort of around her health, um, completely tragic, but like she's an absolute 
trooper, really. She's a complete warrior and that she really kept going. And it's something that, so I didn't really, so I studied art history, but we didn't really touch on her very much when I was studying. And it was actually the V&A exhibition a few years ago. Mm. Um, where, where I came across her where it was the um, where they had all these they had just recently uncovered all these incredible dresses and things that had been locked away um, at the request of uh, her husband Diego for 50 years after his death and it was when they found all these things and then they started doing this tour of the world and obviously came to the V&A that I just thought god this woman's incredible and I I completely get what the fascination is with her like she's just she's just amazing and you've sort of nailed it there when you say she was a trooper like she was such a warrior she had to um, live with this pain and um these injuries throughout her life she was desperately in love with this man Diego who had multiple affairs uh cheated on her with her own sister even to the extent that they ended up getting a divorce uh, after 10 years of marriage but then she remarried him a year later because it was almost like she couldn't live without him she Mm. uh, you know he was her twin flame almost but um and she still created these amazing images that seem to for me kind of have one foot in life and one foot in death constantly like that's almost how she seems to have lived her life and I think you really do get a sense of that when when you look at them and when you kind of explore the uh, inspiration behind each one that's an amazing way to put it actually one foot in life and one that's that's just kind of like nail on the head for me like that's just it exactly so can you tell us a little bit about Frida's upbringing and her childhood and where sort of these health issues sort of stemmed from yeah so I mean a lot of people um attribute her interest in politics and communism to when she married Diego and that was a huge effect on her but she was always like a very forward-thinking woman um, always very strident in her own beliefs and very politically active at school she joined the young communist league when she was younger and the Mexican um, communist party and and so she always kind of really had this strong sense of will and a strong sort of sense of self-belief and a desire for social change I suppose but then in 1925 when she was 18 she was on a bus and uh, it had a collision with a tram and it's like awful awful like atrocious collision and this metal spike um, I think it's like a steel handrail um, impaled her and so it went through her back and through her pelvis and um, her spine and her pelvis were both broken um, in like multiple places it crushed her foot it broke her collarbone and these would go on to have effects like for the rest of her life um she was bedridden for a huge amount of time she uh had trouble um conceiving so they never actually had children because of you know like how frail her body was Uh, she was in a cast a really sort of like painful cast very restrictive cast for lots of her life so she kind of like from the age of 18 onwards until her death um had to had to deal with this constant pain mm-hmm. and you really do see that in a lot of her paintings like you see the emotional depth of the pain um and that inspires a lot of the themes of death and decay and like mortality um and sort of like torture almost but I think what also like really fascinated me when I learned about it was that it's not just the themes that her injury had a huge effect on, it's actually like the form itself. So lots and lots of Frida's, um, Frida's paintings and also her most famous ones are all self-portraits. 
And one of the reasons for that is when she was recovering uh, at home, her parents had a mirror installed in the canopy of her bed and her mum commissioned this special easel so she could paint from kind of lying down. So the reason why so many of her paintings are self-portraits is because she was staring up at herself for so long when she was um, when she was bedridden and when she was kind of trying to recover. And so it is literally like self-reflection in these paintings. She's like kind of looking to herself for inspiration. She's lying there wounded, trying to heal, trying to make sense of things. And so I feel like so much of these of these paintings are us really getting a look into what was going on in her head as she was trying to make sense of this. There's one in particular um, that when we sort of spoke about doing this podcast called The Broken Column which you'd kind of earmarked as, as one to potentially talk about. So why why this painting in particular for you is, is quite important and sort of the cornerstone of Frida's sort of body of work? Uh, I think one of the reasons I love this painting so much is um, like the juxtaposition of frailty and being exposed. So just for a bit of reference, it's this, um, this painting of her from the uh, waist up uh, I think originally she was supposed to be naked, but now a kind of a sheet, it could be a hospital bed sheet, kind of covers her lower part. But um, it's kind of her naked from the waist up, and it shows this uh, cutaway where you would see the spine, and instead of the spine, you see this crumbling white column. So it's quite a powerful painting because even in the way that she's standing like her shoulders are quite straight and she's looking directly at you like there's something quite defiant about it but it's also like incredibly vulnerable because you're seeing her insides and like this and this crumbling white column that signifies where the crippling injuries were that she would still suffer from and also in this painting, she's kind of got these little nails stuck all over her into her face and all over her body. And um, and in this kind of like cavity, it's like bright scarlet behind this white column. And it should be this gruesome painting, you know, even in the way you're describing it, these words are all kind of like really harrowing. But there's something so strong about it, even though the column itself is breaking inside her that kind of shows that her body isn't keeping her up and isn't keeping her well. Like it's the way that she's looking at the at the viewer and and does have her head held high. And I just think it's such an incredible image of resistance of like, even if my body is broken, then my mind is not and my will is not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And even where she's kind of placed herself as well, even though you, you said that she, you know, she's got this hospital bed sheet kind of almost wrapped around her waist, but she's standing in this sort of very sort of jagged and broken landscape, really, which kind of echoes the, the sort of brokenness of her body. And she has these very faint tears uh, sort of lightly sort of rolling down her face, but she's not in pain in this image as well, just kind of like what you said, like she's so sort of strong and defiant and just completely resistant to to the pain and it's just it's an unbelievable an unbelievable piece it really is I think is that yeah the tears and yet she's still so composed and um yeah I think it really does kind of like represent her fortitude in a way yeah no absolutely and this was painted um quite late on actually in, in Carla's life. So this was this painting that we're discussing was painted in 1944. Mm. And just for anyone listening to the podcast, um, as always, all the images we discuss will be able to view on my Instagram page and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes below. 
And I'll also leave a link to my website where you can view them there if you don't Instagram, which is absolutely fine if you don't. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just um, I think for me, this is such an, an interesting work. And after she'd gone through so much, because as well, like her personal life, as you said, with um, with her partner was incredibly tempestuous and very fiery, as well as dealing with all these sort of health issues. There was also a lot of not love loss for say, but there was all, there was a lot of uh, drama in her in her personal life. Oh yeah, huge amount of drama in her personal life. Like she didn't have anything easy. Um, she fell in love with Diego, who was this, you know, um, a revolutionary, and she fell in love with him for his mind and his soul. Apparently, I think there are some um, some references to him looking a bit like a toad. <laughs> like he's not a good-looking guy, and if you look at any photos yeah. of him, she's this tiny little woman, and he's like this huge, um, yeah, almost quite grotesque man. <laughs> um, but he was he was a real kind of forward thinker and I think that's what probably um attracted her to him and um and he was 20 years older than her and they tried to have a baby and then she had a miscarriage so she kind of had to deal with that pain as well and the pain of all of his betrayals so yeah it's like her kind of life was littered with these heartaches one way or the other <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you see them both together, they're a very, they're a very striking pair, but they're a very odd pair. Her mother hated Diego, but her, her dad, because he was so well established, as you said, he was 20 years her senior. He was, he was quite a famous mural painter in Mexico. And because he was quite wealthy, he, her father approved of the marriage because he was like, oh, she can take care of her. But their, their mother used to refer to them as the elephant and the dove. <laughs> I know, it's so funny. But I was like, also, only mother-in-laws could really get away with saying something <laughs> so, like, cutting. <laughs> I know, yeah. I think he probably just took it on the chin. But still, that he was definitely not a fan. And, you know, when you learn that he had an affair with Frida's own sister, you do kind of think, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, there's crossing the line. No, absolutely. Right. Um, so you, you mentioned there that, that Frida actually suffered a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And there's a very, very famous painting that Frida made after her miscarriage, which um, is quite haunting, actually. And it's called uh, the Henry Ford Hospital. Have I got the, the name of it? Yeah, this? that one's right. It's also known as the floating bed. Um, and yeah, it was, she had the miscarriage in 1932. And she also painted this like very shortly after. And you're right, a harrowing and haunting is exactly the words. It kind of shows this a naked, twisted Frida, still um, bloated from pregnancy on a hospital bed and there are these red ribbons that look kind of like I suppose umbilical cords or veins and they're coming from her and floating around the bed are these six objects um, and one of them is a snail to kind of show how slow the operation and the, the abortion was. Um, one of them is a pelvic bone that kind of illustrates um, her crippled body and, and what went wrong. And one of them is a fetus to show the, the unborn child. And apparently she um, she actually requested about a week after the, um, the miscarriage, she requested the fetus from the hospital because she wanted to paint it directly. But they refused her. So she had to make do with medical uh, illustrations. Like uh, you can't say she wasn't um she wasn't of a strong disposition. My goodness, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And there's also a couple of other things there. There's a there's like a wilted flower mm. um that's there, and then something also that looks like I think is it a lock and key or something? It's very it's a very sort of weird. I think it's 
object like hospital machinery it's kind of supposed to signify the the hospital and it was also in the henry ford hospital in the states so that's like what the backdrop is as well you kind of like see um and the ford manufacturing plant as well so i think for me that really signifies how far she felt from home when this was happening like she wasn't in her beloved mexico and she wasn't surrounded by the traditions and the the comfort comforting things that she knew so it's a real sign of alienation yeah because they moved to the states for um for diego because he was given several commissions Mm. but frida missed mexico so they so she moved back after a few years but i think that was not really round about the breakup of of their marriage because like you said they, they divorced in, in 1939, but it kind of takes us on to another painting which you, you brought to my attention called The Two Fridas. Yeah, so this kind of um, represents Frida's pain in a different way. This is more of an emotional pain. Um, and at first, I think when she painted it, she said that it was from kind of like a dream or a memory she had of this imaginary friend when she was younger but then she acquiesced a bit later on that it was due to um the emotional turmoil turmoil she felt after divorcing from Diego but it kind of shows these two versions of herself sitting almost facing each other and one of them is in very traditional Mexican dress uh, and this one is shown with an exposed broken heart and this heart is like bleeding all over her lap and in the other version she's in modern dress with a whole heart and it kind of shows the two sides of her personality and and her desperation and loneliness and how she really you know she wants to follow her heart but her heart lies with Diego and this causes her pain. And so it's kind of, for me, her trying to make sense of, well, how can you follow your heart if you know that's taking you down a, a route of sadness? And the, the portrait where she where she's sitting in traditional dress, she's also sort of holding in her hand a very small amulet with a photo of Diego when he was a child. And they sit against this very stormy backdrop, which for me, it's all about that how, even though she's in two minds, clearly, that she has strength in herself and that she can make a decision and, and will follow her heart eventually. I think it's so interesting because that you mentioned previously, you know, it was a very fiery relationship. He cheated on her several times, but this also follows, their divorce also follows some of Frida's infidelity as well. She had a, an affair with Leon Trotsky. A very famous Russian revolutionary. Um, Well, she had had multiple affairs as well, actually, with men and women. So, Mm. you know, she wasn't exactly completely um, um, angel of (laughs) but no he was and he was actually staying with her um, in the Casa Azul in the Blue House so this was a period in Diego and Frida's life where they had a lot of revolutionaries and artists and writers that would come around to their house and, and talk about sort of revolutionary ideas and Trotsky was in Mexico because he'd been exiled from Russia and he was staying at Casa Azul and he boy, his, his wife was over as well so she was in the picture but Frida had an affair with him yeah Blue House is it's quite an interesting place like you said they had a lot of artists sort of coming and going but it really was the hub of Frida's existence almost and her artistic outpour so she was she was born in this house and um, obviously she she lived with uh, Diego in this house and she she died in this house as well but what I think so incredible is how vibrant the entire house is I mean I've, I've never um, been fortunate enough like yourself to visit there but I, I watched a sort of virtual sort of walk through mm. and 
the house is just incredible. It's just beautiful. It is that kind of bright peacock blue that almost seems too too blue. You know, your eyes can't really take it in. And um, and it's got like a courtyard in the middle. It's very traditionally built and it's got sort of fountains and flora everywhere. And you can kind of walk around the grounds and you can kind of really imagine her going out and kind of sitting there in the morning with her coffee and her breakfast of tamales. And uh, she had pet monkeys. So they would kind of be running around and there were parrots and birds. And you really do sense what you're surrounded by um, when you when you go there. And I think that's why I love it as well, because although there are these harrowing and um, and disturbing paintings that she does, a lot of her self-portraits, especially the kind of ones from the shoulders up, there are a lot of uh, flowers and greenery and parrots and monkeys and um, and these, it's almost like love letters to Mexico and to the Casa Azul. So for all of the paintings that are quite dark and show her grief and her pain, there are equally ones that show how much she loved life and and how appreciative she was to be surrounded by this. Well, that's it, exactly. And she's someone who very famously is is known for her striking looks and her appearance and her and her sense of dress. And there's all this. I mean reading before recording with you um, I was reading this thing where they said that she preferred these sort of traditional Mexican dresses because it, it when really when she was abroad working abroad it showed her love of her home nation and sort of let her stand out in a crowd almost and she really did love that and she used to wear these incredible hair bands and style her her hair very high as a way of sort of drawing attention away from her lower mm. body um, because she had also um, which I don't think we've, we've mentioned she actually she suffered polio as well as a small yeah. child so she walked with a limp and then she had this horrendous accident when she was um, when, they, when she was 18 which then continuously caused her health grievances throughout her life but yeah this house is just for someone again for someone who suffered so much to look at this house instantly is it's just this very joyous and welcoming very strange place really but like you said it's um you, you can just kind of picture her moving around the space and everything about it is is worthy of an artwork and it's it's now the the, the Frida Carlo Museum it is yeah and it's um it's a stunning place to go because you really really do get this feeling of um of how she did she did love life you know she had a very vibrant life in some senses there was just also a lot of pain in it yeah so and this is where she she did die as you mentioned just sort of 20 days after, after her 47th birthday and this was also where she um, she painted her final painting, which is called Long Live Life, uh, Viva La Vida. And I think that kind of really goes to show how she appreciated the time that she was here, even though there was so much pain in it. Yeah, that's it. And her, her final painting is is really interesting, actually. So we've, we've spoken about the previous works. They're, they're quite dark. There's, um you know, a lot of pain and sadness being portrayed to the viewer, but but this one is, is really interesting and very different to the others that, that we've discussed. It's a still life of watermelons, which is a complete curveball when you sent me this. I was like, oh, OK, we yeah. like a curveball. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I love this painting. I love it so much. Um, it's kind of like watermelons and they're 
they're slightly cracked open so they're bursting open and um and they're ripe and you've got that um sort of like striped greenery of the outer shell and then inside that sort of like rich ready pink of the juicy flesh of the watermelon and the dark gleaming seeds and um one of the reasons for watermelons is the association with the day of the dead so traditionally, watermelons would be eaten um, on the Day of the Dead, which is in Mexico, a day when people celebrate their ancestors and celebrate their their loved ones who have passed on. And so um, she painted it like knowing that she was going to die soon. And in in this way, she's kind of showing that she's ready for her soul to pass on and this understanding that she will also be remembered um, and one of the other kind of things that, uh, that I learned that I love is that just days before her death, just like around the time when she finished this painting, she wrote in her diary, I, I hope the exit is joyful and I hope never to return. And I just thought that's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And it's such a, a wonderful final work as well, particularly this is a detail I, I didn't actually realise when first looking at it is that the sky is is split. So it's kind of one half of the the work is nighttime like a very deep dark blue and the other half is sort of a morning sky a very light clear blue so I think again that just really it really works with the whole idea of that she knew it was her time to sort of pass over or that death was needing and um, because the, the sort of years so, so from sort of like 1950 onwards she had a lot of operations on her spine and um, her leg was eventually amputated as well due to mm. complications and what's really sad at this point as well is she was actually gaining international recognition mm. as an artist <laughs> Yeah. Isn't it? She was Isn't Diego's, it? you know, Diego, the famous painter's wife for much of her own life. And then it's only after her death that Diego's kind of become the husband of Frida. So, yeah, that's the way it goes. <laughs> What's amazing is in 1939, she sold uh, a work to the Louvre. So she was the first Latin American female artist, female Latin American artist to sell a work to the Louvre. And in 1953, so a year before she sadly passed away she had her first solo exhibition in in Mexico but she was so ill she and she was advised by her doctors not to attend but she was so devastated at the thought not being able to to go to her first solo exhibition in her home country that she attended in her fantastic it just shows her strength of will and her strength of spirit doesn't it I mean I love that story it pretty much exemplifies um her her determination in life really from sort of researching for this podcast I'm just like my goodness what a woman she was she was just incredible so she passed away in uh, 1954 and there's um a lot of how she died so some people say it was pneumonia some people say that she took an accidental overdose of painkillers because she was on quite a high dose of medication but Diego died a couple of years later and it was in his will that he said that he he wanted the house to be turned into Mm, a museum which I just think's really incredible and uh, Frida's ashes are still there actually and kind of coming back to something that you said earlier they're in this little sort of toad (laughs) Um, oh, vase, that. um, <laughs> and that was a toad vase, and that's because um, of Diego's sort of nickname for himself with uh, with Frida, sort of I'm your toad, um, which I think's which I think's a really nice sort of full circle um, from what you said earlier in the 
in the podcast. Is there anything else that you that you think, oh my goodness, we haven't spoken about and this is a really important thing that people need to know about Frida? Um, because she really is this incredible sensation now to the point that you said earlier, you know of her to see her, but you potentially don't know the name. She's very sort of iconic. So iconic. And she's on everything now from tote bags to t-shirts and mugs and things. And and uh, yeah, she is has become this feminist icon and I don't know how much of that has got to do the fact that people like Madonna have collected pieces of her artwork and things. Yeah. But I think what is um, important for me is, is people also look into the reasons of why she created these works because there's so much more to her than just being a feminist or a communist. It's, you know, it's, it's to do with um, this inherent pain that she had through her life. And the way, the way it always makes me think of is that phrase... Um, you, like when you're near death then your life flashes before your eyes and I feel like she was so like continuously near death that these paintings are her sort of like showing her life flashing but and we get to see them so I feel that you, because it's a real privilege to be able to look at them in that sense. She's I would completely like agree with your sentiment of people yeah I would definitely recommend that people go away and look into her because she she lived a short life she didn't live very long but for what she did do she definitely she packed it full of interesting people and for also for someone who was you know in crippling pain and and technically disabled for most of her life she had back braces and when they opened up um the museum they found a lot of sort of prosthetic legs and things like that so for someone who was technically disabled she really didn't that really wasn't how she identified as she she lived her life and I think that's just really really incredible and um, just surprised of how ill she was yeah this it's um and particularly like you said when she had her accident and when her easel was fitted to her bed and she could paint herself in the mirror like I just think it's it's just an amazing sort of show of resilience and um yeah I just think she's oh, an incredible yeah, person. completely I mean if you think um, when um if you or I kind of feel a bit iffy and we're in bed you know I can just about turn on Netflix so to have the fortitude to yeah. think I'm gonna create something from this it just really puts it in perspective Rebecca thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking so amazingly and passionately about Frida Carlo and um yeah I, I really um I really appreciate uh, your time and uh, your wealth of knowledge that you've that you've shared with us um before you go I do have one final question it is the Joe's Art History podcast after all so my final question and you can take this as large or as sort of small mm. as, as you want really but my final question is why is art important? why is art important for me art is important because we're all trying to make sense of the world we're trying to make sense of our own our own existences on a larger scale as well and I feel like art gives us a chance to recognize in ourselves what other people are feeling too so it kind of stops us feeling that little bit lonely I'm loving asking people this question I'm getting so many sort of 
varied responses. It's, it's so, so great. Thank you so much. Uh, before you go, Rebecca, where can people find you? So I actually um, have an account that is uh, to do with astrology and um, and crystal healing. So you can find me on Cosmic Cures, actually, Cosmic underscore Cures. And on that, it's um, a lot of that is about female empowerment and life motivation and things. So I think that's probably why I resonate with Frieda as well. I kind of feel like she was she was really trying to trying to do the best for herself and for, for other women out there thank you so so much um i really appreciate it particularly because it's a friday night uh, <laughs> it was great it was great fun thank you for having me on and it got me to um revisit some of my favorite pieces of artwork as well which i haven't looked at in a while so yeah i really appreciate you asking me thank you And there you have it, the end of another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. I would just like to take this opportunity once again to thank Rebecca for coming on and speaking so passionately about the life and work of Frida Carlo. I really hope you've learned a thing or two. I know I certainly, certainly have. And I feel a greater appreciation now more than ever, having spent some time reading into this woman's incredible life. And I would once again urge you to seriously go away and do some digging and diving of your own into the life and works of Frida Carlo. In preparation for this podcast, I came across some incredible videos on YouTube and I'll link a couple of them below in the show notes, as well as a link to my Instagram page and my website, which will show you all the works that we discussed in the podcast. If you would like to get in touch, please do. You can email me, joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at joesarthistory. And I will leave a link below to Rebecca's Instagram page in the show notes too. Finally, if you have enjoyed this episode and think perhaps someone else you know would enjoy listening to, please do feel free to pass it on. And hey, why not while you're doing that, like, rate and subscribe to the series which means you will never miss another episode and apparently it also helps other people find the podcast also if you were able to do so i would be really grateful if you could leave a review to the show just so i know feedback's always helpful finally thank you so much for listening and i really hope you've enjoyed this episode i've been joe mclaughlin your host and friendly art historian and i look forward to welcoming you next time on the joe's art history podcast until then keep learning And remember, art is for all.